there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, you are very welcome to the Your Politics podcast. We're back in the bowels of Leinster House. Uh, on his way into the room is David Murphy and with me, Sarkhani Riada and Micheál Lehan. And breaking news, Micheál, is that right? Well... It's been breaking all week. It's going to break a little more. <laughs> Niall Collins, to make that statement in the doll sometime around half five, I would safely say that you could be down to 10% of the TDs uh, left in Leinster House at that point. But he's chosen to do it uh, at half five on a Thursday. I suppose that does get it out of the way. Uh, on the other hand, the audience will be uh, fairly limited. So if there's anything in it and if there's a feeling politically that it isn't sufficient, you would think that he would have to make another statement in the future. But as Niall Collins approaches that statement, the political sentiment here is that he probably is OK. I mean, the central charge against him and the central accusation was that he built a house in an area in Limerick known as a pressure area. In a pressure area, you have to demonstrate that you needed a house. At the same time, he owned a house in the city. This is back in 2001 when he's not even a councillor. He owns a house in Dura Doyle. But he pointed out that wasn't in a pressure area. So it was different. And it's different to the Damien English story in that regard. Another point is you can build in these pressure areas. The pressure area was Patrick's well. It was land owned by his father. You can build there if you lived in that area before 1990. Nal Collins clearly lived in his parents' house before 1990. So on the substantial accusation, if that is it and that is solely it, he does look to be clear. But you were saying, Sarah, the chances are that won't be enough for the opposition, this statement. Yeah, well, I think in the um, piece that the ditch had online, you you know, they made allegations, but it was all very nebulous what they were saying. So there was very little of substance in it, I suppose. Having said that, because there are, you know, they were saying, oh, he used this name, his wife's name or, you know, there was all these kind of suggestions in it. And I think because of that, no matter what he says when he comes into the doll, I think you'll hear the opposition saying, oh, we have more questions. Oh, we want him to come in and we want to have an opportunity to ask those questions. So, Even though at the same time, it is striking compared to others and compared to controversies that have happened here in recent weeks, there, there has been a more reticent approach taken, which for whatever the reason... From the uh, opposition, is, From you the mean? opposition. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And from across, the, there's no great unease within the government ranks either, at the moment anyway. Yeah. And no. is there any unease, David, in Sinn Féin at Fine Gael's attempt to have them account for uh, in, a, in irregularities in their returns uh, on election expenses? Well, I think what we've seen over recent weeks is a big push by Fine Gael after the issues around um, the public expenditure minister, Pascal Donoghue, and the issues around posters and how that was funded. Fine Gael have trying to been, been trying to turn the tables. And there are a number of issues which SIPO, the Standards and Public Office Commission, are looking at in relation to Sinn Féin. And we can see Fine Gael is having a big push to get more attention put on that issue. But and what they're trying to do is to press for Doyle time to be given over for there to be statements on that issue. Now, there's something odd about this, because really it is the job of opposition to hold government to account. 
it's not the job of the government to hold the opposition to account. Leo we, has always, Leo Varadkar has always taken a different view on that. No one else has, but he has. <laughs> and he said it from the first day he came in here that he wanted to hold the opposition to account. Okay, well, and could I put Hildegard it to you? Hildegard Nocton, who took cannabis in her 20s, but it wasn't really for her, um, as was the one who had to write the letter to the the Kelm Corla this mm. week uh, trying to make that happen for the Taoiseach, but it, it hasn't happened. Well, could I just say that it is the job of the Standards and Public Office Commission to hold members of the Oireachtas to account. And that's the way that's the way it is supposed to work. So I think that this attempt by right. Fine Gael to turn the tables on Sinn Féin using Oireachtas time, I don't really think that's going to go anywhere. And they're, what's more, they're offering government time that it wouldn't have to be done in the opposition's time. They can say, we can give you some of the government time to answer questions about this. It's a joke, really. The generosity yeah. is just... <laughs> the conclusion of the business committee today was that if government does want to hold uh, statements or a debate on the funding of political parties generally, uh, that all in the opposition would be would be open to that. So I think government are going to go away and they're going to reflect. Okay. Um, Sarika, you've been studying people before Profit's proposal for a left-wing alliance. <laughs> uh, a left-wing alliance that would not include the Greens or the Labour Party. Yeah. Uh, this, of course, um, follows a lot of movement on the centre-left with Holly Cairns taking over as leader of the Social Democrats. I'll talk about that in a moment. But um, apparently there could be a potential coup nearly led in the, by the elites and the media yeah, in the yeah. future well, is that I've just the prospect a, we yeah. face I've just come from a very interesting press conference over in Buzzwoods this afternoon where they were talking about how they've invited other parties on the left to join themselves and as part of that they um, published this booklet and you know one of the fears mentioned in the booklet is that you know the the right-wing capitalists could use the forces of the state against a left-wing government like they did in Chile and other countries. And there was some um, argument about this at the press conference. It was quite funny. But I suppose one of the really standout things about it is that they made a decision not to invite the Labour Party to be part of a left-wing government because they're saying that the Labour Party um, broke the trust that people on the left would have had in them when they went into government with Fine Gael in 2011. And they they haven't forgiven them. Like, they're definitely persona non grata as far as a new left-wing coalition would be concerned. I think the interesting thing about that is that if you talk to people who were part of that Fine Gael Labour government at that time, if you talk to people in Labour who were part of that, they make the point that, you know, there was going to be austerity, no matter who was running the country. Um, they were in a oh, bailout So it was situation. Frankfurt's way rather than Labour's way, was it? Well, <laughs> you know, the Labour people would say that, in fact, what they did is they sandpapered down some of the rough edges that were coming their way. And in fact, they did get changes made um, to the austerity packages mm. which were introduced. So what would have... They never started around those. We're not, we're not going back. We are not going back over all of that. We are not going back into it. It was... I was only warming <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> remember the Tesco the, the one thing the, I did... But it's not just the... the wine. Pe- oh, yeah. 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 No, yeah. please, guys. This is like walking down into some weird nightmare, isn't it? The Social Democrats don't want anything to do with Labour either, though. No interest. No interest at all. And do Labour even want anything to do with them? I thought the great quote of the week was uh, that when they were asked to define the difference between themselves and the Social Democrats, Labour said they were founded by uh, James Connolly and the Social Democrats were founded by Stephen Donnelly. The counter quote back from the Social Democrats isn't bad either, saying it's better to break ranks with Stephen Donnelly than it is James Connolly. 
Oh yes, yeah. the flavour of the general election to come. I can, I'm looking mm. forward to it. It, all it is. It is also worth bearing in mind that um, you know we are seeing a little bit of a warming of relationship between Labour and the former Sinn Fein TD Violet Ann Wynne. So. Is it possible that, that Violet Ann Wynne becomes the new Dr. Banji? And she <laughs> joins the Labour Party and the Labour Party goes from seven oh. seats to eight seats while the Social Democrats remain at six seats. It's just possible. And it's just uh, it's interesting anyway yeah. to see the way the the way the left parties are moving in the Iraq. And how many of them would be there? I'll always remember a point Bertie Ahern, I was saying that actually to Richard Boyd Barrett yesterday, he made after the last election. He was looking at the people before profit people, but it applies to a lot on the left because in the last few days when it became clear Sinn Féin was going to have a lot more votes than they had candidates necessarily to exploit, they were asking people to transfer left. So Bertie Ahern pointed out in terms of people before profit as he read the results, Richard Boyd Barrett was the only yeah. one who got elected on his own account that the rest were carried in on a Sinn Féin surplus. Yeah. So again, it'll all depend on how much tide there will yeah. be for that centre-left or that further-left yeah. uh, at the next that's, election. That's relevant to the Social Democrats too. Um, many of their TDs do benefit to some extent in the last election yeah. from Sinn Féin. It does seem that Labour, uh, despite that fairly poor election result, whatever was safeguarded was done on their own terms. All right. You have some news in terms of MICA, don't you, Michal? Yeah, the latest figures as a the legislation that allows for the redress for the people whose homes are damaged by MICA blocks in Mayo and Donegal. Part of that was that the the Society of Chartered Surveys every year would update the figures. That is the cost, the average cost to rebuild those homes. And they're up quite considerably. The biggest homes, which would be the five bedrooms or more homes, that's up by 50,000 from 421,000 last year. The cost to rebuild it is now at 479,520. So the guts of 50,000 and similar enough, it's a 45,000 increase uh, for anyone who wants to rebuild a four bed, two story home. Uh, in those counties as well. And I suppose as well as that, these figures, they do take account of labour costs today. They do take account of the cost of materials. You could see they're way up. But there is one thing about that scheme is that this rebuilding would be done to pre-2008 regulations. So things like insulation and all the standards that are spoken about as being the way to go now, uh, they're not included in those figures. And as a result of that, the homeowners Mm. have always said that while this is on the face of it spoken of as 100% redress, it probably in real terms is only about 80%. And of course, that's why on the ground, even though as a political issue in here, it isn't contentious anymore, but on the ground, it remains so. You'd wonder also, does that have implications for, because we've got other redress schemes coming along? That's right. Well, there's the big redress scheme in relation to the Celtic Tiger era apartments, whereby many of them were uh, were not built up to standard. And essentially what Micheál's talking about there is... Um, a reflection of inflation in terms of building costs. And so if there's inflation in terms of building costs in Donegal and other areas affected by uh, mica and pyrite, it's also going to affect building costs in relation to other schemes. So I think we can expect over time the cost of all of these to to be revisited one way or another. And of course, inflation creeping back up again last month. And That's a surprise a yeah. little bit. Uh, I think we had Michael McGrath, the Minister for Finance, indicating that things were going to get better. And indeed, the European Central Bank, they've been saying things are going to get better. But when you see it sticky at this level, at this very, very high level, we can expect 
more interest rate increases coming down the track. Um, obviously, we're going to go now over 4% or above. But people forget 2008, when the crisis actually kicked off, the financial crisis, the uh, interest rates were at 4.25% before yeah. they began to fall. The thing, I think, you know, there's two words beginning with E that have certainly dominated the week. They'll dominate next week. Electricity bills and the eviction ban, Sarah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose, you know, listening to the conversation in the Dáil today and people bringing up the cost of electricity, I think Sinn Féin mentioned um, speaking to constituents and how they were talking about how their electricity bills are exorbitant. But we still have one electricity credit to come back. Now, the government have said they're not going to do any more until the next mm-hmm. election. And I suppose when we've seen the profits that those companies are making as well, there is um, more to come in terms of the windfall tax that the government are talking about imposing. But we don't know yet how much they're talking about. The detail's about sketchy on that and it doesn't yeah. appear to be coming any time soon, does it? No, no, no. And not in any time to make a difference to people either um, for the next couple of months. So, and the eviction ban is something else that they'll have to make up their mind about before the doll breaks up for the Easter recess or indeed for next week, isn't it? They said by Patrick's for, day, didn't they? Yeah, There'd be yeah. a decision by the 17th. So when's the last cabinet meeting before they all head off? Well, it, it, theoretically, it'd be uh, next Tuesday. However, there's a possibility they may have two cabinet meetings next week. Um, or a long one on Tuesday. So I think there'll be initial discussions this afternoon on this among cabinet members and uh, there may be something more in the lead up to the cabinet meeting. But I think the way it looks as if they're going is that uh, the evictions ban will end as expected. However, there will be further protections for renters. So essentially what they're going to do is try and soften the blow in some way. And I think too, kind of a nod and perhaps a more meaningful now than has been the case up to now and that fairly contentious issue politically around landlords and further tax relief for smaller landlords in the budget. It does seem government uh, are moving in that direction at this point. That's certainly the signal. Mm-hmm. When we did the podcast last night in UCD with Neil Richmond, it was interesting. He again repeated this uh, situation whereby some people, perhaps they've returned to the country, they're trying to go back into apartments or houses which they let out and there are tenants there yeah. who um, they can't ask to move. I, I wonder if that's going to be part of it as well, that they will introduce some measure to address that because more or less every time Fine Gael have spoken about this, they've mentioned that difficulty. We also had a student in the audience who was talking about moving away because her landlord was selling out and she was facing eviction in a couple of months. I mean, this this one's going to be contentious, whatever the decision is. It was very interesting last night at UCD when we were hosted by the uh, kind people from the uh, UCD International Politics Society. The pizza had nothing to do with it, of pizza course. Had nothing to do with it. But there were a few things that stood out for me. One of them was the kind of two-tier system that's beginning in education, which is a result of simply high rents, whereby uh, people who don't live in Dublin are now they can see that perhaps they've been offered a very good course in Dublin and they're opting to take their second or third choice because they just can't afford to live in Dublin. That's one thing. And then the other thing that's going on decentralization. is decentralization. The other thing that's going on is the students who are in Dublin are paying so much in rent that they're working all the hours they possibly can to be able to pay the rent. And then they're trying to squeeze in college and they're absolutely wrecked. 
uh, from it all. Like the and pressure on them is enormous. And the students who are living in Dublin and living with mammy and daddy and, you know, have are able to live a, a more yeah. comfortable lifestyle by comparison. Yeah. It was really interesting. Well, I remember being in college and paying £120 a month in rent. But it's also so. going to have implications for the colleges in terms of financing because they rely a lot on... Um, students from abroad coming in and they pay higher fees to go to college and if those students can't get accommodation in order to be able to go to college Well they're going into the residential because the purpose built residential is to, that was one of the other things came up, they were saying that's all the foreign students because we couldn't afford to be living there I want to ask It goes beyond Dublin though doesn't it, I mean you hear places like Limerick too where the idea of someone driving from Tralee a student to Limerick every day would would be preposterous 10-15 years ago and is now fairly regular. Mm -hmm. It was interesting so, uh, Sarah, a question for you. Did Rishi Sunak get Brexit done this <laughs> week? <laughs> With the Windsor yeah, framework, well, as we call yeah, it. Yeah, he seems to have done uh, a great fist of it, as they say. Um, the most positive noises coming out of, um, you know, the UK and the North about it since this whole Brexit thing happened, in fairness. Um, but it was so ironic, wasn't it, to see those pictures of him up in the north yesterday beside the big thing of coke and talking about how wonderful it is that uh, the north, the people in the north will have access to both markets. And, you know, he didn't seem to see how ironic that was in terms of sure is not what they would have had before Brexit. So, um, but yeah, apart from the DUP still having to um, go through the minutiae of it and decide whether or not they're going to. Do you think um, there's any chance of them making a decision this side of the May local elections? It doesn't really look like it, does it? Um, they, uh, you know, I've heard some reports saying that um, Jeffrey Donaldson will be will be under pressure to come out, and I know there will be a lot of pressure coming around the 25th anniversary in. April 25th you anniversary. Can of the Good a lot Friday. of diplomatic there, there, love yes, bombing. Yes, I yes. think there will be. Yeah, but at the same time, I suppose uh, you know ultimately they'll be worried about their votes on those local elections and. And they won't want to be overtaken by the TUV or anyone else. So anyhow, we have a brand new document, the Windsor Framework, David, uh, very, very cleverly crafted. Uh, This time we have uh, a new phrase, the Stormont Break. That's right. I mean, yeah, you're right. It is cleverly crafted. Uh, The language in it is interesting. They're talking about Lancashire sausages and the fact there's going to be a free flow of trade between Carlisle and Craig Avon. And they give all these great examples and it's beer and it's dogs and cats and it's seed potatoes. And it's great. Whoever wrote it did a very good job of making it very understandable, really concrete terms. But anyway, the cart of the thing is really the storm and break. So effectively, what we have at the moment is that under the existing protocol, if the EU comes up with a new rule, it has to be implemented in Northern Ireland. However, under this, if there's an issue with it, if it can be demonstrated to be somehow dangerous to the interests of uh, people in the nor- in Northern Ireland, they can implement the Stormont break. And that means that that new law that's coming from the EU would not be, be implemented in Northern Ireland. Now, if that happens, it then has to go to a joint committee of the EU and the UK, and they have to agree, yeah, OK, this is serious enough not to implement that rule. But if, for instance, and this has happened before, there's a big dispute between the EU and the UK. Mm. What happens then? Well, in that case, it goes to independent arbitration, which would be done on international rules. Now, all of that sounds fine, but there is one clause in the document which I think that could cause problems down the track. And basically what it says is that if there's a divergence between the trade rules in the north of Ireland 
and the Republic of Ireland as a result of this, then the EU reserves the right to take action. So basically, that could mean taking action whereby maybe there couldn't be the same yeah. free flow of trade between the North and the Republic. Now, that's in extremis. There's no doubt about that. But it's just worth, it, worth pointing out that clause is there. But Boris Johnson, Micholahan, he's looking at it from the opposite point of view. He's worried about the British genome edited tomatoes. Is that right? He is. And essentially, he has concluded, having looked at it, not with the kind of detail that David has gone into <laughs> far from it, but he, he concludes that it doesn't really go far enough when it comes to taking back control. So that's a, another issue. I suppose not entirely unexpected, but he, he has... Uh, put his cards on the table there. But really, the issue facing us now is any tomatoes because... Because <laughs> <laughs> there aren't any tomatoes to exactly. be bought anywhere, yeah. There's some I type of Siberian variety, is there, that special seeds could be made available, apparently? That could be the solution. We'll but get back get on to Malcolm Noonan on that one. <laughs> the way they presented the... Um, the, the winds or the very name of it, you know, mm -hmm. the, the way visiting Prince Charles and all that, which I know did cause some controversy. But uh, but the way they're calling it the Windsor Agreement and then the way they presented it. And what I thought was really interesting was in the press conference that the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen did with uh, the UK Prime Minister Richie Sunak, she used wording about, you know, making sure that food would be available in the UK and medicines available at the same time as the rest, sorry, available in the north of Ireland at the same time as the rest of the UK. Well, in the press release that we got from the Tarnished the same morning, he used the very same wording in talking about that food and medicines being available at the same time, which to me showed a level of choreography and of cooperation in how they presented this, that they were really careful to do it in the most, I suppose, um, appealing way to all sides so that there wouldn't be any controversy about anything around it. Apparently it was all done from some bunker uh, really? in Brussels where the mandarins went in. They do, you know, when they went into a tunnel and that was the main thing that made it work actually yeah. on the EU side. Uh, that they were there were no leaks coming out of this, so that created a lot of reassurance. And of course, Steve Baker, the Northern Ireland minister, apparently was one of the ones who'd been left on the outside. So that's why he was on resignation so watch as the deal came through. But he did this amazing interview on Newsnight, didn't he? Yes, that's the one where he spoke about how difficult it had been personally, how it had taken such a, a heavy emotional toll on himself. It was extraordinary because having watched him in other interviews in the years before this, he'd never have imagined that it was taking such a toll on him, would you? Absolutely. No. Well, there you go. Politicians um, are human too. Is that the conclusion? <laughs> <laughs> they can wear jewellery. They can grow beards. We haven't seen too much of that around Leinster House yet, have we? Not so much. Not. Mick Wallace was the great jewellery yeah. wearer, wasn't yes. he? Yeah. Uh, missed in that regard the pink t-shirts as well. You could always try them. Neil. No, a wine bar consultant. <laughs> I, I have a story about him and his t-shirts and his jewellery, I remember. Um, OK, we'll finish waiting on to, that. Waiting to go into to uh, the six o'clock news and uh, Mick Wallace was uh, about to go on and um, I was with one of my colleagues and uh, Mick came in and he's wearing a big green dangling earring and a matching green t-shirt and one of my colleagues commented to him that his earrings matched his T-shirt and he said, you know me, always going the extra mile. <laughs> Fair play. Nothing like matchy-matchy. OK, yeah. Shinna Will from us uh, for the moment. Thank you for joining us uh, for your politics. Follow and subscribe if you can. And we'll be back with more from Leinster House next Thursday. Stockholm.